Some of you might have noticed that for the last couple of months I've had an old pair of glasses on uh, held together by a bit of sticky tape. It was a bit of a Harry Potter look, not on purpose, but I put a book on my glasses. But this week I went for an eye test and I got myself a brand new pair. But you know, I don't know if you've been to the optometrist recently, when you're sitting in that chair trying to read the letters in the row in front of you, you realise how good, or in my case how dodgy, your vision is. Now I'm short-sighted, which means I can't see things in the distance clearly. But with these new specs on, well, I can see things in the distance really well now. And so blurry blobs that appear a bit boring turn into something much more exciting. And I can read the score in the cricket on the TV, which is great. (laughs) And what Paul is going to do for us today in Philippians is he's going to give us a bit of a checkup on what we are living for. And he's actually going to help us to see with much clearer vision what is in the distance, not geographically, but in time. He wants us to be excited by the future. And he's going to help us get a clearer view of the future in today's passage. Because Paul himself is living for the future. And then he's going to suggest that we should all be living for the future too. You may have even noticed it as it was read out. Paul is fixed upon the future. Verse 12, he presses on. Verse 13, he forgets what's behind and strains for what's ahead. Verse 14, he presses on towards the goal. Paul has got this really clear view of the future. And that is impacting his whole life. But even before we get to those verses, you can see how he's living for the future right at the beginning of today's passage. Move back up to verse 10. Have a look. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, it's no surprises that it's Christ who he wants to be like and he wants to know. But saying he wants to know Christ and be like him in his death and resurrection, well, that's something he talks about in just about all of his letters. But here, it's all future looking. He wants to know Christ. He wants to know the power of the resurrection. He wants to share in the sufferings. And for what reason? Well, that too is about something to come in the future. Have a look at verse 11. Verse 11, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, the reason he wants to know all this is so he can somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's living for the future, that day when he is resurrected. And and I like Paul's sense of wonder at this point, that somehow he might be resurrected. He knows that it's possible because he's seen the risen Lord Jesus. And he knows the certainty of the promise that one day he will be resurrected. And so he's excited by that. But exactly how that will happen, well, he's kind of left to trust God and his power. But the resurrection is something that he's living for in the future. And it's something he hasn't got to yet. Have a look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And Paul is quick to admit that he hasn't been resurrected yet or been made perfect without sin. But even though he's not there yet, he has a clear view of the future. Did you notice the words he used to describe what it's like? He forgets what is behind. Anything that's happened in the past, he doesn't worry about it. Mistakes made, regrets, sin. Paul just forgets what's gone before. And he strains for what's ahead. It's not a walk in the park or something that happens easily. No, no, he has to strain towards the future. Work hard for it. Yet he presses on towards the prize of resurrection life with Christ. Have a look at verse 14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. It's like when you're in a race, uh, a running race. When the gun fires at the start of the race, you take off. And you forget about all those months of training, those wet morning runs or the scorching hot sessions. Whatever's come before, you forget about it. And as you run, you go your hardest and your fastest. You're thinking of only one thing, being first across that finish line. And as you approach the end, you strain with all the energy that you have left, fixed upon the prize that awaits at the end, the trophy or that gold medal round your neck. Paul runs with this focus and clarity, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, living for the future when Jesus will return and will be resurrected like him. And Paul runs with this focus, living for the future. But then in verse 15, he says, we should all live for the future too. Have a look at verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. See, for us who've put our trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection for salvation, we need to have that same drive that Paul has, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. Paul says we should all be living for the future. And that's actually a sign of, of maturity in a Christian, one who lives for the future. And so it's something that we need to have a really clear view of. That in the future, Jesus will come back. That every knee will bow before him. Those who trust in him as their king will be resurrected like him and have life forever in a new creation. But those who ignore him will face God's anger and judgment. And so that as we live for now... As we, sorry, as we live for the future, that's actually going to have a big impact on how we live now. And so God wants us to be really clear on the future and what his plan is. And he's actually made it possible for us to be crystal clear about the future by giving us his word, the Bible. And even in verse 15, Paul acknowledges that some of us are going to have different ideas about the future, but God will make that clear to us. 
We've just got to keep on reading the Bible to understand it better. But we can start now, even verse 16, have a look. He says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And so with the knowledge that you do have right now about the future, start with that. Even if it's just that you you know Jesus died for your sins and you know he's coming back one day, start there. And as you read the Bible more and more, you grow in maturity. God will be at work in you by his spirit, helping you to know him better and giving you a clearer picture of his plan for the future. But you know, one thing we can do to help us live for the future is to look at those who are more mature than us and follow their example. Have a look at verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So Paul commends them and us to look to the example of those who live by this pattern so that we've got an example to imitate and so we keep on living for the future. Now we've already looked at the example of Paul and how he lives for the future but maybe you can think of someone even here at DPC at at early church who's worth imitating because Paul wants us to be doing whatever we can to be living for the future because he knows and we know that many aren't living for the future. They live for the now, which is what Paul points out in verse 18. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And there are many, many, many people, even just here in Dubbo, who don't follow Christ, who ignore him and run their own lives, not believing that God even exists, or trying to be good enough, hoping that God might accept them by their good works alone. But for these people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, well, the future's still coming. But it's not a, a prize or a glorious resurrection that they can look forward to. Now, it's actually bad news for them. Have a look at verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Now this is the reality for millions of people across the globe. They face God's judgment and anger. Their destiny is destruction. And that comes as a result of their actions. And Paul gives some examples. Their God is their stomach. People who just indulge in whatever they want. And I think it can stretch further than just food. It's people who are seduced by material possessions, who put all their time and energy and money towards indulging in houses or cars or gadgets or clothes. They have their mind on earthly things, not on on the now, not the future. Or those who glory in their shame, uh, people boasting about things they did while they were drunk or what they got up to at some big party, They have their mind on earthly things. The now, not the future. And if this is you, if you're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ, well then, please hear this warning, that Jesus is coming and his enemies face his anger and judgment. Please turn to Christ and avoid destruction. 
And even as Paul writes this, he writes with tears, knowing how sad it is that people will face destruction and miss out on the excitement of the resurrection life with Christ. And so he finishes off by reminding us that the here and now is not where we belong, but rather heaven is our home. Check out verse 20. Verse 20, but our, citizen, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. For those who live as, en- as enemies of the cross of Christ, their destiny is destruction. But there is a great hope for anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, then their destiny is heaven. But more than that, it's actually where we belong as the people of God. Paul says it's where our citizenship is. Now, you know, if you want to be an Australian citizen, you have to pass a test. Uh, you get 45 minutes to do a 20 question, multiple, 20 multiple choice questions. And it's kind of designed to assess whether you've got knowledge of Australia, knowledge of the English language, and knowledge of the responsibilities of being an Australian citizen. Now, I looked at some of the practice tests for this, and the kind of questions you get are, uh, what do we celebrate on Anzac Day? Uh, What are the colours of the Aboriginal flag? And a whole bunch of other things about the government and the constitution. And, you know, if you get at least 75% then you pass and you can be an Australian citizen and you can call Australia your home. Well, there's no test to get into heaven. All you need to do is put your trust in Jesus and then you can be part of God's people. You can call heaven your home. And look, if it is our home, our destination, well, then that's what we'll live for. Not earthly, material, temporary things in the here and now, but instead we'll live for that future. That day when Jesus comes back. The day we will be resurrected with new bodies that are no longer limited by sin. And for Paul, this future is exciting. For every Christian, this future is exciting. Which is why Paul says we should eagerly await Jesus to come. And so he concludes right at the beginning of chapter 4, in verse 1 of chapter 4, that we ought to stand firm until that day. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. In chapter 3, Paul is encouraging us to stand firm, to stick with Jesus until he returns that we should live for the future, look forward to the appearing of Jesus and our coming resurrection, and actually to let that affect the way we live now. And so, dear friends, are you living for the future? Or are you living for the here and now? It's actually a whole way of life. It's, it's a total change in our mindset. What we're living for will actually affect our decisions, our conversations, all our thoughts and all our actions. But in this, pa- in this passage, uh, Paul's actually given us some things that will help us to gauge what we're living for. 
Now, he's already pointed out that those who live as enemies of the cross, what marks them out is living for earthly things. And so the first checkpoint is to see if you're living for material possessions or making something else in the world more important than Jesus. Maybe it's money or sport or relationships or something else. Paul, he wants us to be living for the future, not the here and now. But maybe you are living for Christ, but you're struggling to see, well, how you can be eager about the future. Perhaps life's a bit tough for you right now, and staying a Christian is actually hard work. Well, Paul doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. In fact, he wrote this while he was in jail and And he said how he strains for what is ahead. But have a quick look and see how it is that he can still be excited about the future. It's by having that clear view. Verse 13 is a good example. He he forgets what's behind and he strains for what is ahead. He can admit that he hasn't made it to to the resurrection yet, but he's so certain of the resurrection so clear of what is to come that that's what he lives for. And so he can say, we eagerly await our Saviour from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, once we've got that clear view, that clear picture of the future, well, that will help us to be living eagerly for it. But it's something we have to practice, we have to work at, because it doesn't happen overnight. It's a whole shift in the way we think. Um, some things that I've tried is putting up posters around the house or reminders on my phone. Uh, maybe you can think of just some creative ways that you can help yourself to be reminded and living for the future. Certainly we need to keep reading about God's plan for the future. Get along to the course of your life and learn more about God's plan. Be praying that God would make it clear to us. We want to build in our minds a clear picture That will help us to be all the more eager. And look, as we learn about the bodily resurrection, the new creation, the promise of life forever, the guarantee of being in the presence of God without any sin or death, well, that's exciting. And we can actually wake up every day hoping that today is the day when Jesus comes back. But until that future comes... Let's live eagerly awaiting it. Why don't I pray that we would? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we want to ask that by your Spirit you would help us to know you better, that you would make your plans clear to us, that we would have a clear view of the future, the coming resurrection and the new creation. And Lord, that we would strain and press on towards that future, that we would be living eagerly, awaiting the return of Jesus Christ when we can go home to heaven. Lord, please help us not to be distracted or to live for earthly things, but to live for you and your return. Lord, we want to ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.